the mother has compared the psychic being to the wire that connects the lamp of the body to the generator of the divine. So <clears throat> the role of the psychic being is uh, crucial, especially in this yoga, because it is this which has the experience of earthly life and from life after life it grows through that experience. And therefore, um, it knows on the one hand what it means to be on earth. It is the child of the divine which has been on earth. Right from the time earth has been formed, the psychic consciousness has been there. And it grows from a little spark into a little flame. So it knows the essence of the experience of earthly life on the one side. On the other side, it is perfectly aware of the divine truth which is behind. It has no doubts. That's why when we touch the psychic consciousness, then all doubts vanish. This is one of the descriptions of the psychic, that the moment we pierce through the veil of the heart and touch the psychic, all doubts vanish as if, you know, they, they scatter away, like clouds scatter before the sun and the wind. So, uh, in a yoga which is turned towards the earth and the transformation of earthly life, the the role of the psychic being is very crucial because this is the link which links the earthly life to the uh, divine truth, the divine being, the divine presence who is within us. It is also the first step and the safest thing in yoga. That's what Shurinder says that once the psychic being has stepped out in front, all the rest of the journey can be safe. But if it has not come out, and we try to practice yoga, we can easily get caught into any of the regions which can mimic uh, higher regions. And uh, even one can get into various kinds of states of imbalances. It is the psychic which is the safety. That's why we find uh, in Savitri, <coughs> there is a very beautiful line um, a passage when before Savitri undertakes the journey of the discovery of the soul, earth must transform herself and equal heaven. Earth must transform herself and equal heaven, or heaven descend into earth's native might. But for this high spiritual change to be, the heavenly psyche must put off her veil and step into common nature's crowded rooms and fill our thoughts and body and life. Now, Savitri is called upon to undertake this journey. And what is the state? It's a beautiful description of the state in which we have to approach this great discovery. So the very next line that follows is that Obedient to a high inner command, she sat, time, life and death were passing incidents, obstructing with their transient view her sight. The inferior nature still preoccupied too large a place and must be pushed aside to find her soul. So this line, time, life and death were passing incidents. The mother says in, as a as a prelude to the psychic discovery, the mother says that one must be armed with the patience as is required in the discovery of new continents. 
that is the first step. Just the attitude to approach the psychic discovery should be that one must be armed with the patience as required to approach new continents. It's not a it's it's not a prize. It's not a crown without the prize. Uh, it's a very serious kind of discovery. Uh, one must be aware that it takes time. One must be willing to go through many things. The very that that line that time, life, and death were passing incidents. Even so, what anything may happen, but this is the goal which one has undertaken. Shubhendra says in the synthesis that if you really want to succeed in yoga, it must become not only the a preoccupation, but the very occupation of your being. So at night, if one is woken up and asked, "What do you want?" So it should not be a glass of water. It should be that I want this yoga. I want the divine. I want to discover my reality. And this is the uh, state in which one should move. The second step, which she says, which is very necessary before we proceed on the inner path, is to um, understand that the mind cannot judge spiritual things. So far, we try to understand everything by the mind. The mind cannot understand what the psychic truth is, what the psychic consciousness is. It's far inferior in its capacity to understand truth. It's just an instrument. In fact, in Savitri, Shurabindu compares mind as a minister who keeps the soul prisoner. And when the when the psychic is like a little baby, you know, it's like a story of the psychic is compared to a little baby prince who is, uh, you know, still a baby, he doesn't know that he owns the kingdom. So, as a guardian, mind and life are deputed as powers to take care of the psychic. So, what the mind does is, he, he runs the kingdom and often mismanages it, but goes to the psychic to just sign, put the stamp and seal. But as the psychic consciousness grows, it begins to exert its influence. And that's when conscious yoga begins to take shape. Even when uh, man is not aware of anything deep within, still the psychic is there. Uh, of course, Shirobindo, very with his characteristic humor, once said, when s- someone asked him that, Sir, is there a soul in everybody? He says, Yes, but sometimes even I have to take it by faith. So, <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is so much in the background. Nevertheless, even there it is the prince incognito. There is a beautiful description in Savitri, an incognito of the imperishable. He travels. So we know everything else about us except the incognito who travels incognito through this life and we don't know. And because we don't know, we feel that, well, it is not there. But even then, it is this which is the secret ruler and which absorbs all the experiences of one life, another life, passenger from life to life, from scale to scale. He regards the icon growing by its gaze and in the warm foresees the coming God. So it is this which carries all the essence of experiences. Then a time comes when uh, the time of great departure, when unconscious or subconscious yoga changes into a conscious yoga. And uh, that point can come either as a result of uh, slow, progressive evolution over the years or in some cases it can come by a sudden shock in outer life because what that shock does is the psyche which is absolutely engaged or totally involved 
lost in the surface can suddenly you know it you know one is thrown inside by the shock of an external event um, in savitri we have those lines an absolute supernatural darkness falls on man sometimes when he draws near to god and hour comes when fail all nature's means forced out from their protecting ignorance that he at length must cast from him his surface soul and be the ungarbed entity within so essentially we have these two eyes the surface eye is the eye of the ego and it is like a scaffolding it is the uh, normally when we use the word i is that which which we mean but deep inside there is this true i the psychic individuality and this must be found if at all we have to safely proceed on the spiritual path so the very first thing is to be armed with an uh, tremendous patience and to know that the mind cannot judge spiritual things because the moment we step on this discovery all kinds of hurdles all kinds of difficulties may come and the mind can easily get lost if it begins to judge each and every event so time life and death were passing incidents one has to be prepared that whatever happens even if i were to drown or live one it doesn't matter this is what i want and nothing else then one is ready for the psychic self discovery it cannot be just a healthy pastime uh, it's not a hobby it's the goal is the work work of works as shubhendra says the soul acceptable sacrifice and uh, there are few indications that one is ready for the path and the mother says one of them is that uh, you know uh, all kinds of preferences and all kinds of uh, uh, this must be that must be instead of that this becomes the predominant thing so everything else becomes really secondary so she says before you discover start on the discovery there are few general pointers for the path and among those general general pointers he said that uh, do not do anything for the sake of pleasure but take pleasure in all that you do so this is something which prepares the being for the psychic self discovery uh, the reason is that we are too much engaged in the surface consciousness and therefore we are always at the mercy of all currents of nature and the first step required is to disengage our being from the surface consciousness and learn to step behind step back and it's not possible if we are constantly caught up by appearances if we are constantly caught up by this or that wave of nature which comes and upsets us and takes us as mother says that we are like a cock upon the sea so one wave comes a wave of anger a wave of depression a wave of uh, doubt a wave of this and we are carried far away then another wave comes and we are back to the same spot where we are and we often wonder that oh all my life i have spent and i have not moved an inch uh, now that's because we have not learned to disengage ourselves from the surface there is a, a nice story of three men who uh, you know were rowing a boat whole night and uh, the boat uh, you know didn't move at all and they got so tired and exhausted that eventually they just fell asleep so when daybreak was there and the boatman came and he said well how will you move you are still tied the boat to the kuti you know to that uh, to the shore unless you disengage how are you going to move so we may keep moving the effort keep doing the effort keep you know pushing the oar but the first thing is to disengage from the surface consciousness and 
that is only possible when there is a strong pull from within or there is a contact of the surface being by the with the divine reality and this uh, contact can come in various ways uh, maybe through a face through a name through through an ideal anything it can come as a contact and once that contact is there as if in a flash something is revealed to us and we know well this is the goal of our journey now after that the passage closes but the very fact it has been revealed in a moment it contains the result of all our efforts of the past and also the results of the future because it is like suddenly for a moment through the veil something has broken through and we have seen even for a moment mother used to say even if for a moment you have said that god i am yours the whole world cannot keep you apart in fact these are it it said almost humorously that uh, she would say that don't uh, ever say this even in joke because god may take your decision very seriously and after that you say ah no 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 i don't want you this is too much <laughs> where have you brought me this is too high a thing i i want to be you know safe that was fine but uh, he he makes sure that the whole world cannot keep you apart so it's a very serious uh, journey it's a uh, very delightful journey also by serious it doesn't mean that it is a journey which which uh, uh, all that it means it requires a one pointedness a kind of concentration upon this one goal so this is the very first step but as we begin to move from the surface to the inner being the very first thing we 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 encounter in the process are these three obstacles these three ministers would be just won't let us pass and these are the three ministers of the inferior nature and they have various devices to hold us the body with its inertia and tamas the life with all kinds of um, hustle and bustle and its crowded tramp and its busy noise the mind with its hum with its doubts with its thoughts and all these just won't let us pass so everybody who tries to meditate knows that how difficult it is to really meditate it's one thing to sit and uh, sit motionless physically it's quite another to be motionless inside because it's not easy the inferior nature won't just let us pass uh, and the very body won't let us pass and that is why the mother says that even the body should be free of tamas sometimes it's so good to sit for meditation after a Uh, after doing a little bit of physical exercise and workout it helps uh, even to meditate better it helps to go within and similarly um, if if the life force is too active and too restless so it has to be trained it has to be disciplined it has to be um, taught how to go within and uh, that's why one of the um, well known practices of desireless action of doing action without wanting the fruits without expectations hopes fears which all the time crowd us so when we begin to act but act with perfection with act with the joy of working which naturally will bring its own recompense and yet not with that view it is a very good training for the life force to learn to become quiet and restless because what adds restlessness to the life force is the heaving of desire the heaving of passion so the more we make these things quiet the more we are ready to actually go inside and if we this preliminary work is not done it can be very difficult similarly the mind tries to stop us with all kinds of premature certitudes 
with all kinds of doubts, with all kinds of ifs and buts. And one has to learn to teach the mind to be quiet. So the first thing Shobhindra and the mother tell us is that we must train the mind, the life parts to become more and more quiet. There are several ways to do it, to learn to step back, to learn to witness oneself, to take the inward shift or simply to ask for peace and quietude. Mother has given such a beautiful way to just ask peace, 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 peace and after a while the mind, the life parts, the heart become so much full of peace. And once they are full of peace, it becomes easier to go further inside. So this is step one. As soon as we, uh, the call is there and we take this as a serious inner journey and we begin to shift inwards uh, the, the obstacles presented by the surface nature. And if we can create a zone of peace and through various life experiences, through desireless action, what is called as Nishkam Karma, through the habit of the mind to meditate, by um, reducing the inertia in the being, it becomes possible for the consciousness to go inward. And the mother has said that one of the best uh, points from where the consciousness can move inward is through the heart, because that's where the psychic is so much more closer. One can go through the mind, one can go through any part, one can even go through the body. There are people who can do that, you know, who are very awakened in that. But the heart is the shortest way. And that is why one of the most powerful methods to turn inward is by the way of devotion. So there is a long route of the psychic and there is a shortcut of the psychic. The long route is through the mind and through all other parts. But the short route is by the power of devotion. If devotion develops, if one begins to relate to the divine within, if one begins to turn to the divine as a conscious being for everything and anything, if one relates to him not only just as a divine presence whom one worships, but all one's relationships one begins to refound in the divine. There is a very beautiful aphorism of Sri discipleship to God, the teacher, um, the, the love of the indulgent mother, the protection of the benevolent father, the um, holding of the hand of the divine playmate, the laughter and sport with the divine comrade and of course the rapturous love of the divine paramour and the beloved. So once in every way we begin to relate to the divine and the practical ways are so many one can turn all one's emotions towards the divine, the various things that we expect from people in the world instead of expecting from others we turn to the divine with all our longings with all our hopes, with all all that we, uh, you know, naturally the heart, you know, seeks in the world can turn towards the divine, it would become so much more easier and swifter, this whole inward movement. Of course, uh, even in that, initially a lot of mixture comes. The mind always uh, brings in the mixture in our turning inward. It uh, says, okay, I believe in the divine, but I want certain proofs. So it begins to, you know, look for proofs. The, uh, the vital also adds its own mixture. It says, okay, I believe in the divine, but what am I going to gain by it? So it begins to bargain with God. So if we can train these parts of consciousness that the divine joy is for the sake of the divine. The very first thing in yoga is that one doesn't take up yoga for any personal gain. It's not because, you know, what 
it's a yoga, if I get the psychic being, what am I going to gain? Uh, will I become richer? Will I become, you know, will things become better in my outer life? As long as those things are uppermost in our mind, that means we are really not seeking the divine. We are really using the divine as a crutch to satisfy our ambitions. And the mother says it's a canker at the very beginning. So in the very beginning it should be clear that we are seeking the divine for the sake of the divine. When someone asked her, will you please tell us something about yoga? She says, what do you want the yoga for? For gaining power? For helping humanity? For having certain siddhis? None of these is sufficient to show that you are even ready to step on the path. Do you want the divine for the sake of the divine? What a wonderful joy. I mean, really, is is the divine really the supreme raison d'etre of your existence? Has it has it become a necessity, like breathing air? We have that beautiful story of, you know, Ramakrishna, where he took the person into water and asked him, what did you want when you were inside? He said, I wanted little air. He said, my God. So that's when you will ask the divine with that intensity, he will reveal himself. So, when we are so much moved by the intensity of a devotion, that that alone matters. Then she says, what is the next step? The next step is, she says, roll up your strings of consciousness which are scattered everywhere as you roll the sleeves. Gather them and concentrate in the heart. If the strings of consciousness are scattered outside and we concentrate in the heart, it makes no meaning because uh, there is no power in intensity in the concentration. The concentration is effective only when there is an intensity and the intensity gathers when there is a mass. It's something solid. And it becomes solid only when the scattered bits of consciousness is gathered and then we concentrate it here and then we push it inward. Otherwise the gates don't open. We have such wonderful description in Savitri that uh, they just jar and there are all kinds of creatures standing around, they just won't let us pass. So the, the whole consciousness must become one-pointed and concentrated in the heart. And with that, when we push with the intensity of devotion, with the intensity of our seeking and our longing for the sake of the divine, then she says that concentrate, 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 go deep into the heart. And as you go, she says, there is a fire burning there. It is the secret divinity in you. Hear its name, hear its voice, follow its dictates. And she even says how to make the fire burn brighter. And it's not an image, it's an actual fire burning. And she speaks about throwing everything with the divine name in it. All that arises within the consciousness to be thrown into it. So that this little flame goes into a fire. So this is the kind of approach one has to have. Now when we do that and we begin to press still inwards, uh, another kind of, uh, not exactly an obstacle, but a natural stage in our inner journey can come, where we can uh, identify with one of the three Purushas and mistake them for the soul. So we can identify with the mental Purusha and become a being of knowledge or we can identify with the vital Purusha and become a being of strength or a soul of strength, a soul of knowledge, a soul of strength or we can identify with the physical Purusha and be, become a soul of endurance and service and we can mistake any of these for being our true soul 
because uh, these are the triple purushas and uh, we identify with them. But the sign is that we are never stable in that realization. Invariably, we have to encounter their egos which time to time uh, throw, throw up things from, from inside. And we have to know that these are only temporary resting stages. And this is not the soul. We have to still go further. And when we begin to go further, the first thing, when we are approaching the soul, that we step into a night of God. It's a very beautiful description that before one has come close to the soul, one is very comfortable with many premature certitudes. Oh, I know it all. I can, you know, give nice uh, talks. I have read all. And I am aware of, you know, what is psychic being. I can I can describe it in great detail. Satchidananda, I can talk about it. And uh, I have read about overmind, supermind. But when you step into that, then you discover that actually you know nothing. There is a beautiful line where she says, Humility was too proud a state. <laughs> she only knew that God was, but knew not who it was. So it just knows by kind of sense that there is the divine. But what is the divine? Who is the divine? It doesn't know. It's a signless, blank emptiness where one kneels in simple adoration like a little child and seeks the divine that, well, where art thou? Reveal thyself. I know not thou, but I seek thee. So this is the phase which one has to cross. And many things happen in that process, uh, or rather even before that, uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, one steps into a zone of cosmic ignorance. One can step into the plane of life worlds. One can get intimations from the inner mind. And these experiences can be very great and powerful. One, one can really delude oneself into believing that one has found the soul and almost start a whole movement. Shobindo says in one of his letters that uh, one can have siddhis in the inner mind, you know, which are like reading people's thoughts and getting secret communications. One can luxuriate abundantly in the vital siddhis. We know that there are the yasht siddhis uh, traditionally in the Indian thought, lakima, garima, anima, mahima, all kinds of things, you know, where one can have those experiences, even one can feel a tremendous flow of the life energy, one can feel that one can work day and night without any exhaustion, all kinds of experiences in the vital, all kinds of visions clamoring around one, and it's very easy to get lost in these mazes. So Srimadha says one can even achieve amazing feats in the physical, yet if the secret soul has not stepped from within, then nothing stable or permanent has been done. So it really requires a great sincerity, otherwise it's very easy to stop at any of these resting places and feel, oh yes, I have found. And uh, these zones are very, very fascinating. When Shobindo describes of the, one of the intermediate zones, um, especially the plane of the life, which can mimic everything. He says it, it could mix ambrosia it, it could mix poison with the ambrosia of the gods, where death walks wearing the robe of deathless life. And truth does bandage the works of ignorance and error. So that is the kind of zone one can step in and 
uh, as I said, you know, one can start movements because it's a fascinating zone. It's, it's full of power, full of siddhis. And one has to be willing to abdicate even that and yet go beyond. So it requires tremendous sincerity. If one is pursuing yoga for fame, name, ambition, uh, anything of that sort, one will just get carried away and be misled or move into this circle of ignorance which is wider than our limited life and uh, it gives one a sense of great command and power and it can attract a lot of disciples or people but that's not what you know one is seeking it's only those who are sincere who pass through and go still inward and that then one steps into any of these three uh, identifies with these three purushas the being of knowledge the being of strength or the soul of knowledge the soul of strength or the soul of service and one can rest content there so she says no one must press still further and as we press further suddenly all these vanish from us so one should be willing to be nothing and nobody if one really wants to seek the soul it's a very beautiful uh, state in a sense it's a state of holy ignorance there are two kinds of ignorance. One is the kind of ignorance where we are uh, really ignorant but we think we know a lot. So that, that is the usual ignorance of human nature. And there is a holy ignorance where one knows that one knows nothing and the divine alone is everything. But one does not know the divine. One has not yet met the divine. One feels the presence and the nearness. And then this is of course a stage, this, this crossing through the night when everything is gone and taken away in, in one of Sri poems we Mahatmas we have a description of that that uh, before uh, it, it's about you know how one arrives at that stage and in the first stage this man goes to uh, get the secret knowledge which is essentially the knowledge of the true self and uh, he comes and the Rishi says you are not ready for this so he goes and practices the hat yoga and he practices hat yoga in three days what in Kalyu people practice for million years and he, he says which hat yoga the yoga of the old Lemurian kings he practices and comes back and he's all full of you know um, glory and power and and the rishi again says no no you are not pure enough go back so he goes back and practices raj yoga the entire control of the mind, tremendous vital power, pranayama. And again he says he practices the true Raj Yoga in three days. What in olden days, a thousand years, Bali the titan and Ravana the great king with great difficulty could perfect. So he again comes back and the guru shakes his lock and says, No, you are not yet ready. Go and find Krishna in the world. So he goes and he throws with all his power he goes to find Krishna. So he goes into Yudhishthira's palace, he goes into various places, but does it find him? And then he suddenly sees Krishna on, uh, he sees a madman, almost half mad, who is dancing on the slopes of a hill. And there he sees the being of Krishna. And when he approaches him, this man who is full of the ecstasy of God, gives him a kick and all knowledge vanishes from him. And he becomes a little beggar. And when he is in that state, then this fellow comes and says, Oh beggar, take back thy gifts. 
and then he realizes that really there is nothing except everything belongs to the divine. And in that state, the truth is revealed to him. And when he comes back, he says, yes, now you you become the guardian of the truth. So it's a very uh, beautiful um, poem, which is about the reality of the inner life. That at one point, one uh, steps into that state where there is nothing, one is nothing. There is a beautiful prayer of the mother where she says that I am nothing, I can do nothing except for thee. I mean, it's only thou who are the life of my life, the light of my light, the strength of my strength. When that is the inner state, then we are ready for the nearness of the soul. And then as we go near to the soul, a great peace, a great joy begins to touch us. That is the first sign that truly we are nearing the secret sanctuary of the Divine Beloved. A great sense of inner peace, joy, the spontaneity of an inner knowledge which discriminate between truth and falsehood in one, one look without going through the, all the mental analysis and mental processes. And then of course there is a beautiful description that one meets that great being who is asleep within the secret heart. All the gods are united in its embrace. That's a fire where one can discover every aspect of the Divine. Every aspect is there and one can find everything there. When one touches that fire, it has that capacity for universalizing itself. And each and every aspect of Divinity can be discovered there. Then there is no more antagonism between this truth and contrary truth. And then one rushes and unites with the secret soul. So this is a, of course, a quick summary and the mother has said it takes about 30 years of sustained effort but uh, of course uh, she has also said that now with the advent of the supramental it may be the journey may be much shorter because there is a great help available to all of us to undertake this inner journey and if one can do it with faith and trust and an unwavering devotion and concentration and a one-pointedness and a sincerity and fundamental humility which doesn't allow us to stop at any premature certitudes then it becomes shorter and shorter and shorter and above all if one can rely on the divine grace then the period can become still much short it's a delightful journey we can uh, for the moment stop with Savitri and then maybe have some kind of interactive question answers there is one passage uh, when Savitri enters into the inner worlds and she sees how one has to resist every temptation, you know, to, to find this. She sees the luminous gods rushing out of her own being and rushing to the world to help. You know, often people ask, yoga is fine, but uh, what about this world which is struggling? You must help, you must do something positive about it. So she sees from her being, lot of angels coming out and rushing out to the world. And... Uh, 
there is a little bit of dialogue that uh, issues and this dialogue is very interesting so she fared on across her silent self savitri has crossed the countries of the life and countries of the mind and she is going inward and pressing inward and she discovers what does she discover to a road she came thronged with an ardent crowd who sped brilliant fire-footed sunlight-eyed pressing to reach the world's mysterious wall now whenever we get a beautiful thought a beautiful intimation a beautiful feeling something which partakes of the divine in us it actually comes from the soul but we should not confuse that it means that i have realized the soul it is only the intimation of the soul which reaches to the surface consciousness and prepares it so it is not the same thing as when we identify with the soul we do not make the mistake of uh, you know any more confusing ourselves with the mind body and life we discover and constantly live in the sense of the immortal so that is the thing that the joy becomes a constant companion the peace becomes the bedrock of our existence we no more doubt that there is the divine or there is not the divine all the ifs and buts are thrown aside because we discover that so but these momentary flashes do come from inside and they come from these gods these are the little gods who do the work of uh, you know who do the work of preparing our nature and molding it so that it can turn godwards and they come from our secret soul so savitri meets them deep inside but she is meeting them now as they are as luminous fire-footed sunlight-eyed angels pressing to reach the world's mysterious wall and pass through mass doorways into outer mind where the light comes not not the mystic voice messengers from our subliminal greatnesses guests from the kevan of the secret soul into dim spiritual somnolence they break or shed wide wonder on our waking self so the outer self they come into the spiritual somnolence where we are all sleeping we don't want to seek the divine so these messengers come from inside and tell us wake up wake up there is something like the divine and we wake up suddenly we have a beautiful thought oh what is the meaning and purpose of this life or we are suddenly touched with a deep feeling and longing for some lost bygone self so all this comes basically they come to wake us up so uh, this is a beautiful description very real description of what happens ideas that haunt us with their radiant tread dreams that are hints of unborn reality to the waking mind which has not felt these touches it will say oh, you are dreamers <laughs> live in the real world the real world out there is hard is different so because well these guests have not yet come to wake up one is still in the spiritual somnolence one is still in the infancy of our of our inner growth so these comes dreams that are hints of unborn reality strange goddesses with deep old magical eyes strong wind-haired gods carrying the harps of hope so they bring hope great moon-hued visions gliding through gold air aspirations sun dream head and star carved limbs 
emotions making common heart sublime their touch makes everything sublime for a moment we are caught up in a reverie of a mystic trance so savitri discovers this crowd and savitri mingling in that glorious crowd yearning to the spiritual light they bore longed once to hasten like them to save god's world that's why you know one has to be any time one can get lost recently i had an event a very interesting incident there was a group of uh, people in a hospital and one of them was a psychiatrist and um, he was describing uh, they were making fun of you know usual things that happen about um, spiritual things so one of them says you know there was a person who had joined the sri ramakrishna mission after 6 years he suddenly realized that well he has done nothing for the world and so he left it and came out and you know so he had to go through the test of the degree i mean he was describing in very worldly words how could one tell him that well the best gift one can give to the world is to discover the true self because that is so much of burden from the world reduced and then one begins to do something genuine and authentic in the world otherwise one is only multiplying ignorance so here savitri also feels the rush to go with those angels because they are rushing outside she says oh i must go out and save god's world but she reined back the high passion in her heart what a tremendous effort it's required she reined back the high passion in her heart she knew that first she must discover her soul only who save themselves can others save in contrary sense she faced life's riddling truth they carrying the light to suffering men hurried with eager feet to the outer world her eyes were turned towards the eternal source she is turned towards the eternal source unless i know that how can i be of any good to the world when i am myself a creature a weak creature who can be broken like a reed by the waves of time what strength and hope and joy and light can i really give so she discovers that so she outstretches a hand and tells the crowd oh happy company of luminous gods reveal who know the road that i must tread all these beautiful thoughts these beautiful ideas these beautiful emotions if we can take their lead and press upon them to go there to their source we will discover something of that so she asked them where do you come from tell me tell me for surely that bright quarter is your home to find the birthplace of the occult fire and the deep mansion of my secret soul so one answer pointing to a silence dim o savitri from thy hidden soul we come we are the messengers the occult gods who help men's drab and heavy ignorant lives to wake to beauty and the wonder of things touching them with glory and divinity in evil we light the deathless flame of good and hold the torch of knowledge on ignorant roads 
we are thy will and all men's will towards light and then she says the the crowd one of them tells her follow the world's winding highway to its source there in the silence few have ever reached it's not yet a common position of humanity so we should not think you know it's so easy because man has just entered into a spiritual evolution there in the silence few have ever reached thou shalt see the fire burning on the bare stone and the deep cavern of thy secret soul then what a beautiful way shivanda describes then savitri following the great winding road it's it's literally the image you know of uh, those who have traveled to amarnath you know it's a pilgrimage in in the himalayas and you may start from a big city and you carry all baggages and fruits and you are having fun on the way and you know then after a while all that fun is gone the fruit food is over and many people get down halfway through then you begin to have that difficult climb and then as you come nearer and nearer there is a narrow passage through which only one person can pass then you have to leave behind everything because what matters is just to see that secret deity so that is the state then savitri following the great winding road came where it dwindled into a narrow path no two persons can go there i as a mystic has very beautifully put it that it is such a narrow path that either you can go or the divine can go prem gali ati sakri tame dona samahi either you have space for your aspiration or you have place for the ego so that is the last test that do you still want to go are you willing to drop the ego and that's the symbol perhaps that before we enter into uh, into a place of god we leave the chappas behind <laughs> we leave we have to leave many things behind and finally we are face to face with the deity trod only by rare wounded pilgrim feet none can reach there without many wounds on the feet if you bright forms emerged from unknown depths and looked at her with calm immortal eyes there was no sound to break the brooding hush one felt the silent nearness of the soul question or something we can see process of psychicization mm-hmm. 
commences only after self-realization or it is... Uh, it, it, it starts even before that because as one is, both ways it goes, uh, as one grows inwardly, the psychic intimations begin to reach more and more on the surface and begin to change. So that's very true and uh, it begins even before one has completely united with the psychic being. And it helps both ways. The more the outer nature begins to receive the influence of the soul, the more we are ready to realize the soul. And the more we get closer to the soul realization, the more the outer nature. So it's it's a two-way process. It continues. There's a very beautiful uh, line by the mother that the path is long, but surrender makes it short. The road is difficult, but faith makes it easy. So faith and surrender are two strong armors on the way. Faith is required because it's a journey into the unseen. And there is no part of our nature which can really tell us what it is. So faith is required for a long time on the way. And surrender is required because uh, that to which one is drawn is even with a much greater intensity that is drawn to us. So one has to trust that. <laughs> that the Divine is even more keen to reveal Himself to us as we are in our seeking. So that is the... Jyoti here, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you Jyoti. Okay, I want to say thank you very much. I've just joined in today. Um, I have to, I want to ask something, and I don't know if it will make any sense, but I'll just go ahead and say it, okay? Yeah, yeah, please. Go ahead. Okay. What is the, what is the, the, the pull towards the divine is so strong that um, there's a fear that one would become function, functionless if one goes towards it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very true that you know the individuality of the ego is definitely afraid of losing itself to the divine. But one has to educate it and explain to it that uh, you know uh, actually true surrender does not uh, diminish us. It actually enlarges us because all that is true and beautiful is not only preserved by the divine touch, it becomes even truer and more beautiful. See, what the touch of the truth, uh, you know, what is lost when there is touch of the truth is all that is not true, which anyways must go away. Uh, but but the divine touch, as the mother has said, in fact, true surrender not only enlarges you, she has used the word aggrandizes you. So if there is strength touched by the divine, it becomes divine strength. If there is love in the heart, touched by the divine, it becomes divine love. If there is little bit of capacity for knowledge, or you know, if we can use the word intelligence, touched by the divine, it becomes a divine intelligence, which becomes uh, a mind which is capable of seeing the truth. So actually true surrender enlarges us. But the ego is afraid of losing its ego individuality. But uh, that plunge has to be taken. 
there is a you know let me uh, quote a very beautiful um, phrase from one of the mystics so he says you know the what is the qualification required to enter the sanctuary of god so he says the first qualification is that you must be willing to cut off your head and keep outside <laughs> then you are ready to enter the sanctuary but the fact is that you know when we do that <laughs> what he gives is so much more in return but yes the, there is the fear which is very natural to the outer consciousness and uh, by that part in us which is aspiring we must tell it and educate it that don't be afraid you are uh, going to come in contact with whom the all blissful and the all beautiful he is full of ananda and and he is not going to uh, you know um, just uh, make us you know lose anything actually what we lose is uh, nothing compared to what we gain Uh, there is a little story and the story goes that once um, a, a rich man met a mystic and um, you know the the rich man bowed before him and said sir you are you have really renounced so much and uh, you are really great so the mystic says i have renounced nothing it is you who has renounced yes. so he says what do you mean sir i am leading a very worldly life in full luxury and you say that i have renounced this is yes see uh, there are there are two rooms which god gives us one is full of uh, you know the most precious things uh, the most precious treasures and the other is of all the imitations and uh, you know some people um, keep the door of the precious treasures closed and are happy with imitations and others take care to open the door where the precious jewels lie and naturally once they see it uh, they do away with the imitations so i have found those precious treasures so i have actually left behind the imitations so i have actually renounced nothing but you have kept those doors closed which are of the most priceless treasures and are happy among the imitation jewelry so actually you are the one who has renounced and uh, so you know once we get that experience it's very very obvious that in fact even a little touch of it liberates us from much fear that is how you know the gita puts it swalpamasya dharmasya trayate bhayato mahat it liberates us from much fear and a little contact makes us see uh, my god what a small and narrow life i was really leading so far and one wonders how could i really live and breathe in that consciousness and atmosphere so there is every hope to and 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 we should approach it with full of gladness and cheer uh, yeah yeah yes i agree that the fear is what uh, needs to be functional in the world and the pull towards the divine is so strong that the functionality in the world the desire for that goes away does that make sense yeah yeah it makes sense there is a kind of state in which you know the uh, all the uh, let me put it like that that we relate with the world in a certain way and uh, as the pull towards the divine grows it becomes difficult to relate in that particular way it's it's true that you know we can no more relate with the old kind of ways and habits but uh, we need not necessarily withdraw back from the world we can begin to relate slowly and steadily from the new found consciousness which is growing in us and for instance like if i am doing a work now um, normally we do work for the sake of uh, you know satisfying certain egoistic ambitions or in a relationship we relate with people to 
with hopes and fears and expectations but instead of that we can begin to relate to you know when we do a work we do it well and we do it with excellence and with perfection because it's our offering to the divine so in whatever sphere whether one is let's say in the business world or one is in the computer world or as a doctor well if i really want to do my work as an offering to the divine i won't like to do a slip shot casual work i would like to do something beautiful because that's my offering to the divine similarly in my relationship if instead of the relationship being based on the ego i would like to really learn to love truly which would mean that much of the sting of relationship much of the pain of relationship much of the suffering and struggle actually should go away much of quarrel which arises out, out of pettiness should go away simply because the psychic really knows how to love truly but i quite agree and understand that well there is a phase when one is not yet found that and you know one is floundering and that i suppose one has to go through that phase that phase may be long or short but but that phase is there that's very true yeah. Because, yeah. I, i mean i wish it was a floundering but i think more than anything it's just that um it's like it's just, it, i can't describe it it's just like if i if i go in the direction of the divine i want to drop everything Yes, yes, that is one of the ways that people do and uh, uh, that you see there are several ways. One is that people carry the baggages and uh, slowly and slowly mm, you know things change. There is another way where they drop everything and then go. But if one is not ready for that then one can go um, you know carrying the baggages and the, and the divine will take care of them you know he will make sure that Uh, as and when we are ready the baggages begin to get dropped so to rely more and more on the divine that is what and he knows what is best for us but yes if one has the strength inside to drop all the baggages at one go and take a plunge is beautiful but yes it's not easy and it can be very fearsome for you know the outer individuality so one need not necessarily take that route that's what should be the says one can go through the other route and that may be a little longer but that may be more practical for most of us is yes, shruti That's why the world is around money. So basically, yeah. that's why the world is what it is. Yeah, but yeah. when the supramental comes, yeah. will it be a new uh, order? Yes, I mean, that's a beautiful question. And uh, how can we come out of that uh, so-called mm. red dress or uh, mm. something like that? And uh, how can life change? Yes, because everybody, I think many people are there in this world who who realizes the need. 
to uh, realize their own self. Mm. But most of the time, their lives are so busy and uh, so yes. difficult. See, there is a very beautiful passage in Savitri. Heaven's call is rare, rarer the heart that heats. The doors of uh, man are the doors of mind are shut to that light. Only in an hour of uplifting stress, men answer to the need of greater things, or raised by some strong hand to breathe heaven air. They slide back to the mud from which they climbed, the mud whose law they know, of which they are built. Though something in them weeps for the glory lost, yet they feel joy in safe return to the friendly bees. Now this is unfortunately so true till now that uh, because most of us are built on nature's early plan uh, and owe small debt to a higher plane. That's how Shirdindu completes that. In fact, that's what precisely uh, is the poser which Savitri faces when she is face to face with uh, the Supreme and she asks boon for the earth. He says, you are asking this boon? Human beings don't want to climb out of that mud. And truth born too soon might break the imperfect earth. If human beings are not ready, they want, as you rightly say, ambition, money and everything. So, are you sure? Now, obviously the whole dialogue ensues and eventually, uh, well, the boon is granted. So we come to a point where the supramental is working now. Now, each one has to be true to one's calling. I think uh, one thing which is the gift of individuality in the modern age is that each one must be true to his calling. So, while we should not uh, try to, you know, think about, uh, you know, others may or may not turn if they don't have the calling. But if I have felt the call, the problem is I must put my 100% into it because this is something like an irreversible thing. If one has felt the call and the aspiration, one cannot go back. Now, well, if someone has not felt the call, then yes, one should not disturb uh, that kind of humanity and uh, it will reach that point. How it will reach that point? Well, maybe supramental will crash all the gates. Maybe it will lead us through, you know, the boundaries will break down and uh, man will begin to see through and various changes are actually taking place. For instance, let's say money. Now, sometime back, money governed this world. Now, money has become more and more um, a concept. People don't carry money. The transactions are absolutely becoming the grip of money that it held on the consciousness. Now money has become more like a, you know, it's there, but it's not there. It's not, not physically there. Who knows in the coming days what kind of changes are going to take place. And uh, human consciousness through either through um, positive changes or through, you know, the negative changes, the crashes is beginning to wake up to a deeper reality and also because a hunger has been lit in the heart of the earth. See, suddenly because of the coming of the supramental, uh, something within us has tasted something. That's why so many spiritual cults and or pseudo-spiritual cults and sects have come up because they are catering to a need which is growing in the earth. Now by contamination and contagion, this need is going to become more and more. So for various reasons, also when people have seen through, you see, when there is, as you rightly say, initially it's like ambition and all this, and one feels that, well, when I have all this, I'll be happy. But then when one has it all, then one realizes, what is it? I mean, it's not enough. So that is another path that the divine is taking. So there are so many ways. I mean, people are miserable and uh, unhappy within the kind of... Uh, 
material perfection in which they live they realize that it's it's itself become a trap so one is trapped in one's own perfection so in so many ways this awakening is going to come to earth that well it is not enough uh, but usually it is coming through very indirect me, uh, modes but some are very fortunate to feel the call directly now they must follow that calling irrespective of so that's where you know heaven's call is rare rare at the heart that heats if the call has come to one one must be faithful to that calling and put oneself 100% but then there is a whole large mass of humanity and yes the earth is what it is because of uh, the mess created by the ego and it will be knocked down partly because of the knocking effect partly also because over a period of time one has played with mud how long will man play with mud after some time it will grow up you know he will you know we should always keep faith caterpillar devours and devours and devours and what happens at the end of its devouring well it begins to get crushed within its own cocoon and after a while it it feels a kind of stress and tension for no reason it doesn't realize that its own devouring has led to that and then what is the way out the way out is a beautifully winged butterfly so humanity is going through a state of acute tension and crisis from every point for no reason i mean one may wonder that everything is there yet why are you stressed out well one may say we don't know so you know because of that unfelt stress because of the increased illnesses so many ways human beings are beginning to discover that well nothing is giving me happiness we have seen through the whole cycle and this tension is going to mount up new diseases are going to come up in so many ways you know all the human resistances till man finally turns within and says well maybe when all the rest has failed as shivendra puts it we may find hidden us the key to perfect change so that is probably the road how long it will take we don't know but uh, the crash of the markets and crash of many things is so many things roots got takes it's very natural that the journey will start with ambition and all this and i think it's very very natural nothing wrong with that i have a question mm-hmm. yeah where is the leela different from the ignorance uh, what is it that can explain leela of the divine yeah. and uh, yeah the mm-hmm. divine uses the forms of the ignorance uh, for the leela it's the same way as the uh, director and the story writer who knows the whole plot and the character who is identified with a limited character and doesn't know the whole story that is the difference you know the director who knows the whole plot is conscious he knows that well uh, this is his place in the story and the total story is this now when we are over identified with a character or when we see a small after all what is ignorance ignorance is a very partial scene so it's like when we go to a movie and are over identified with uh, you know the hero's pains and sufferings and we begin to cry now <laughs> we we cry because we think that fellow is so unhappy but you know if you know that total picture you know that this is a mask he has worn there is a beautiful poem of shivendra what is this talk of slayer of and the slain and there he gives the example of the actor who falls on the stage mm-hmm. and everybody is full of tears but what does he do 
he gets up, goes behind and asks, how was my performance? And all his people say, it was damn good. So he says, fine, let me get ready for the next act. So, ignorance is simply because we are not conscious. And the Lord is conscious of the whole thing, therefore it's a Leela. For the Lord it's the Leela, which is an ever unfolding. So we can become conscious participants in the Leela by becoming conscious with the consciousness of the Lord. Uh, this is what is given to man, this unique capacity or the privilege that he can either participate in the play ignorantly or he can participate in consciously. Now when you are participating consciously, doesn't mean you will necessarily change things. As somebody has said that what is the difference between you know an awakened man and a man who is still ignorant. He says the awakened man does not do different things. He does things the same things differently. It's it's not that you know he says you know like Yagyavalk was asked that what is the role of wife, child, and all this. So he says uh, Yagyavalk gave a very beautiful answer, and Shubhendu has given a very beautiful explanation of it. He says, not for the sake of the self does one love the wife, but for the sake of, uh, not for the sake of the wife does one love the wife, but for the sake of the self. Not for the sake of the child, one loves the child, but for the sake of the self. Not for the sake of the country does one love the country, but for the sake of the self. Now, in ignorance, it is for the sake of egoistic self. So, what is the result of that? Oh, my wife, she doesn't look after me. When I came, she was not ready with uh, a dinner. What nonsense is this? She is my wife. She is supposed to look after my needs. After all, I earn money for her. You know, then, you know, there is quarrel. She doesn't comfort me. And equally from the wife's side, there is a whole list, you know, <laughs> that this man is so heartless. He comes home and he is only bothered about his cup of tea. He doesn't know that whole day I have been, you know, uh, slogging. So, you know, the whole thing is based on ego and ignorance, the lower self. But equally, it can be based on the higher self. Wife, not for the sake of my egoistic satisfaction. She has been brought into my life. She is as much a child of the divine. And who is on her upward journey? Can I facilitate her inner growth? Can I facilitate the growth of light and peace and harmony and strength in her? My child is not meant to one day grow up and, you know, get a lot of baggage of money and satisfy my unfulfilled ambition, get a good job in Silicon Valley and send me good packages, you know. That's uh, that's one way and that brings so much unhappiness. But the other thing is that my son, I am a trustee and he has come. It doesn't mean, you know, we leave uh, the child, but he has come and he has been sent into my life for whatever reason. Now, can I be a good trustee of the divine and can I help or facilitate? Of course, you can't force things into a person. It does not mean that, okay, uh, you better come with me on all the satsangs. Obviously, you can't do that. There is an element of choice. But can I facilitate the growth of peace, harmony, light, either by personal example or through whatever means, bring him into contact with some element of truth in his life? If I have done that, then I have justified my role as a parent. And that's true of everything else. So, you know, that's the conscious participation in the Leela of the Lord. And now Shurabindu gives us the full blueprint. So he not only says it's the Leela, he is telling us that what is the Leela tending towards. Leela is not just a perpetual cycle, but it's an unfolding of the delight of being. You see, so far we knew that either it's the Maya was one aspect, they say illusion. Then the concept of Leela, there is a play of the Lord. But what is the meaning of the play? I mean, it looks like a cruel play. 
So, but, but then now Shrivinder says, no, we are looking at an unfinished world. So it's a world in the becoming. So the Leela has a goal and a purpose and the purpose is to build better and better forms for a higher and higher perfection and for the greater and greater Ananda to manifest itself. Now when we know that we are also given a direction and a purpose in the play, uh, not just the joy of conscious participation, uh, but also to build immortally with mortal things, you know, as we read yesterday. So that then it becomes even more meaningful. So we should participate in the Leela consciously. Otherwise there is suffering. The problem is that uh, ignorance is all right, but ignorance brings suffering as a natural badge. And it is uh, only natural because there is the only way the evolution can proceed. If one was happy and satisfied within the circle of ignorance, then one would not go further. So ignorance brings suffering. When we ignorantly relate in our relationship, however best the, uh, let's say in a relationship, however best the man may be, however best the woman may be, they will end up quarreling and fighting and be unhappy with each other. This is a universal problem and that's why people write books like, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. The problem is men live by ego and women live by ego, as simple as that. And so even if everything is fine, even if you put them together in the most happy environment where money is there and all the medical needs are satisfied, they'll end up fighting. Because the problem is not outside. The problem is ego and ignorance. But get a little touch of the psychic touch. And one begins to love truly. One sees, oh, this is just a play of nature. Okay, her anger is, well, she's not this. She is a beautiful being inside. And she also begins to see, oh, his defects and all these are surface nature. He's not this. He's a beautiful being inside. Then you begin to relate to that depth, commune with that depth. And relationship begins to become more beautiful. The same is true of job, whatever you are doing. When we do the job with the ego, we get tired, we get unhappy at the end of the day, you know, we are looking at that pay packet and the day we don't uh, get what we think we deserve, we are terribly unhappy. But when we do it for the sake of the divine, the wage is instantaneous. You see, the divine gives the wages instantly. He doesn't wait for a month. And the instantaneous wage is the wages of delight. He doesn't wait the next moment. If we have done it with that joy and an offering, our being is full of delight. And of course he looks after our needs also. He sees to it in his own way. So there is the conscious participation of the Nina. Uh, how to know when we are in getting in touch with the psychic? Yes. What are some signs, mm -hmm. and if if those signs are yes, uh, 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 one is that of course one is no more identified with the with one's thoughts and feelings and observes them as movements outside in the realm of nature. One no more makes the mistake of identifying oneself with Mr. So and So or Miss So and So because. One knows that that is only a mask or a personality or a dress one put on. One feels the sense of a deep, subtle joy inside. The aspiration grows. The faith becomes a certitude within the depths. And of course, one has the consciousness of immortality. That is the final sign that 
one has really identified with the soul. The consciousness of immortality which nothing can take away. So, death appears as a passing incident. There is a knowledge which is spontaneous. One doesn't have to go through the analytical mind to know things. There is a peace which does not leave one. So, all these are signs that one is in contact with the soul. The divine becomes the living reality of one's being. Uh, it's like the, the psychic, when it loves the divine, it, it has what is called as ahetuki bhakti. So if all these things have developed inside or are developing inside, it means one is identified with the soul. But one can even objectively see the soul. One can see it as a bud which is opening. People get these indications in dreams or in visions or in occult experience. One can see it as a fire. One can see a line descending from above, a line of light and fusing with the fire. One can see it as a bird which is flying. So all kinds of things can be there. They are the objective uh, kind of ways by which one sees and feels But the subjective indications are good enough. Initially, it's not an identification but that takes place, but glimpses. So there are states when one is kind of in touch with it and states when one is outcast from that happiness. And then there is a deeper and deeper longing until, you know, is completely identified with it. So, so what are some of the things we need to reject? Desired soul is the most troublesome and the difficult part. The most difficult part. So not to live for the satisfaction of desires. It does not mean, you know, some people take that as a stream, I have to become an ascetic. No, no, not at all. Okay, fine, you have things, you take it, you take the delight of it, but don't live for the sake of desire. You know, that kind of thing which comes inside and troubles and makes one restless and passionate about, you know, if I don't have it, you know, what's going to happen? So that's where Mother speaks about the need and desire and to, you have the distinct, you know, if AC is not there, one becomes uncomfortable. Well, it is there, very nice. But not to make it, and one will get... Um, thousands and thousands of uh, uh, opportunities in everyday life to grow sincere in this regard that you know <laughs> suddenly the well may not be here but in India you get lights go off and the summer is there and you know <laughs> so at the physical level at the vital level and somebody hurts you insults you how do you take it so these are all opportunities to actually grow as as the mother says that you have so many tests so, the desired soul is the most important. Then, of course, doubts one must reject because the mind can throw a lot of doubts. Then, inertia one must reject, inertia at the physical level. So, these are the three big stumbling blocks. Depression should not be allowed to come. Every wave of depression should be rejected. Guilt, depression, these are very unhealthy things. Every wave of depression must be rejected by any means, but the best means is, of course, clinging to the Divine, to fling oneself into the arms of the Divine. So, these are things which have to be rejected. Is there any method by which one can concentrate in the heart? Uh, concentration, I mean basically, the thing is that to assist one's concentration, few things one can do is to, um, to take the help of a form or a name. Uh, in Shirobindo's yoga, of course, it's the mother's presence, it's the mother's form, and best is the mother's name. But, well, uh, anybody can approach the soul, and therefore one can concentrate 
maybe on the idea of the divine. And if someone is not a devotee of Mother and Shirobindo, can concentrate on one's own deity or the master or simply the master of the worlds, whatever way one conceives the divine one can concentrate. But uh, um, that's one practical aid. One can take the aid of a mantra to concentrate in the heart. And it's anywhere in the chest in general. It, it's really not uh, so much an anatomical point as the concentration in the center of the chest with a will and an aspiration to discover the soul. That's what is important. It's, it's not a mechanical process. One can do it mechanically, but then it takes much longer. If the will and uh, aspiration is there. Now, it's not easy to have that aspiration all the time. And that is why there are ways and means to aid the aspiration. Consecration is one very beautiful way to build the bridge between the outer consciousness and the inner and to aid the aspiration. Consecration of food we eat. Mother says before you eat, you must be conscious that it's being offered to the Divine Presence before you sleep, before you act, before you speak, before you do anything to, you know, aspire and pray. So consecration is a very beautiful method to actually awaken that fire, make it grow more and more. And the company of those who have the fire, living fire inside, to read Mother and Shurdan, those works. These are so many ways to actually make the fire grow. And that's why it's so good to meet together once in a while because it assists the individual flame. Otherwise one is lost in a sea of humanity which is, uh, again, the place is now, it's really, a, I feel, a very big grace that Shurabindu's relics have come. And uh, it means that we'll become a big, it's, it's really a power spot. It's really a place uh, which in, in India we know, you know, it's called as Shakti Peet. They are the places where the divine Shakti has its play in the material earth. You know, there is something which receives constantly. So, you know, we are so fortunate now in Lodai, the relics will be there. So these are spots where they are meant to facilitate the inner journey. So, um, to visit these places. So there are so many ways the aspiration can be nurtured and strengthened. One has to also safeguard it from all the attacking forces. So to be constantly in the company of those who doubt, who throw doubt. In, in fact, the Gita says, uh, don't even talk about me. To those who are full of doubts, this is a secret truth I am telling you. Don't talk about it to anyone and everyone. So one should not become an over-enthusiast trying to convert anyone. We are not here for that. And one should, in fact, in certain traditional schools, this go to the extent of saying, if you share a meal in the house of those who are hostile to the divine, you lose a lot of your inner consciousness. So it's very important the kind of people we meet. In fact, human vital interchange, Mother says, one of the worst form of, uh, you know, influences which uh, cut away a lot of things from us. So the people whom we meet, one part is the satsang, which helps, but uh, it has a complementary side, the dussang, which uh, harms. So one should be very careful. So when one meets, one has to interact with these kind of people all over the world. So, in, in one workplace, so it should be confined to a kind of professionalism or uh, equanimity and indifference. That is the best approach. And a general goodwill for everyone in the heart. But it should not get into a deep personal relationship with those who are hostile to the divine and his work. Because it can really slay, they slay the inner fire. It tries to do that and throws a whole lot of smoke and dust upon it.
sometimes uh, in real life you come in contact with many people and you try to keep goodwill, but somehow or other you can't uh, do that. Uh, you can't help mental judgment which comes yeah. spontaneously yeah. and all those things. Honest. Difficult nature of other people. Yeah, one has to work and see. We have to see that just as we have a difficult part in us, yeah, in and we way. have we have a beautiful part in us. Everybody has a difficult part and a beautiful part, and people are what they are uh, because they are helplessly tied to them. And I suppose that's the um, awareness which brings true tolerance. Um, I had a very beautiful experience with. Um, a very old elderly ashram lady who passed away, um, Russian French descent, and uh, before she passed away, she said something very beautiful. She said uh, she had certain grudges towards some persons, otherwise very fine persons. She said, "You know, uh, I want to tell you something." I used to see her regularly, and you know, she said, "I want to tell you something." I said, "Yes, what is it?" She said, "You know." I have truly learned how to forgive. So yeah, she said. She shared this. She said, "You know, people are what they are because of their nature. It's not that they want to be. They are caught in the wheel, and it brings a kind of happy and sunny tolerance towards others. So we have to practice it. And yes, it's very difficult sometimes, and that's why the journey is long, and many, many, many experiences are required." Many knocks and blows from others as a test to strengthen our resolve and uh, to grow in sincerity, and we have to walk that way. It is the razor path, edge path, and we should be thankful for those blows. You are saying something? Yeah, I have a question. Akash has a question. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Akash is saying, along the path with progressive realization, how does the nature, effect, and attitude towards action evolve? Uh, nature's atti- attitude towards action. Yeah. The the first thing is the uh, egoistic engagement with action begins to become thinner and thinner. So uh, the kind of clinging that we cling to action purely from the sense of the ego, and therefore uh, action is done with a certain particular goal and satisfaction of my desire self in mind that definitely begins to drop, and that is the phase which you know sometime back we were talking about that some people in that phase may feel like withdrawing from action completely because the old motives no longer uh, enthuse us. But instead, we can replace it with newer motives, and that motive can be that through action we can serve the divine. Through action, we can find the divine. And um, Shurabindo in the synthesis describes at great length that each and every action can become a means for that process of finding the divine and serving the divine. So, if we can take these two approaches, that action is a means to find the divine in the sense. Firstly, it makes us confront. Through action, we become aware of our own many imperfections. Uh, not only through the human interaction, but even while we are working uh, through work and through various things that work arouses. It is the anvil on which our sincerity is tested time and again. And then, action can become a means to 
find the divine even in the field of a work. For instance, if I am doing business or if I am a man of science, I would like to know how the divine relates with this world. If the divine were to engage into business, how would he do business? Uh, what profit margins he would keep? You know, if I know the language, what does he have in view when he enters into business? Would he really like only to make profits or would he like to create something which is beautiful, something which is really, uh, you know, shares that touch of perfection. So these are the uh, aspirations we can carry in our sphere of work and make work uh, and action a means of finding the divine. And uh, another thing through action we can serve the divine to create something beautiful, to create something like a uh, work becoming a means of adoration of the divine in our own way. So the attitude begins to change. Basically, it becomes less and less egocentric and begins become, begins to become more and more divine-centric. But in that process, there is a middle phase when the old motives no longer you know, engage us. And well, sometimes people may completely change their line of action. That happens. I have seen that happen with people. And it may happen because the way the kind of work they were doing was not in consonance with their deeper truth. So it's possible that people may completely change whatever they were doing because that was not the truth of their being which they were expressing. But they have just picked it up as a ways and means. People can even for a moment, uh, you know, all things are possible, they may for a moment try to, what can be called in modern parlance is taking a break. It's like, you know, they may try to go into an intense phase of inner life. And for a moment, they may pass through a stage of even withdrawal from action. Now, all these things are possible. But by and large, uh, this can only be a temporary phase. And Shubhendra says very clearly that at every stage of sadhana, action is possible. Only the attitude and the motive should change. It, it should no more be, of course, the egoistic motives. It's no more for the satisfaction of our egoistic being. In fact, action becomes more and more a means of, uh, it brings more and more peace and joy within the being. And uh, if it is not doing that, then one has to look inside carefully for one's own, um, uh, well, insincerities, why this is happening. One has to go by one's calling and not bother about, you know, whether there is a true movement or false movement. This was just, I was saying, as a general statement. But it does not mean that we should really judge another movement. All that it means is that if I have a calling for the transformation of earthly life, see, basically there are two aspirations placed before man, always. Uh, one is the aspiration for exit from this world. The other is the aspiration for making this world a better place. You know, these are the two aspirations and two possibilities spiritually. 
Now, in the middle, there are a whole lot of movements which are about aggrandizing your egoistic life, basically by whatever means. Now, it is uh, very simple that any method or movement or a master is aggrandizing your desire self, either by this way or that way. Let's take an example. Uh, we can be a little frank in the issue that supposing, you know, one starts speaking of... Uh, um, a spiritual way to make uh, quick money. Now, obviously, you know, it's the person may not charge a penny for giving you this teaching. But basically, what is he doing? He is actually aggrandizing the desired self. Or in whatever ways, you know, he is promising you or fulfilling you. You know, by doing this, you will be uh, better able to, you know, meet the challenges of life. But obviously, in the egoistic way. Like, you know, what Ravana did, he did a lot of pranayama and a lot of meditation, but it only aggrandized his ego, because there was no surrender. So there are movements which augment our natural capacities in the ignorance, but they don't teach us how to come out of the circle of ignorance. You know, there are processes and techniques of meditation which augment mind capacity. Now, we can, well, we can say it's a good movement, a bad movement, depending on what you do with that mind capacity. If there is a being of the ego, he may turn into a greater titan, simply because he has learned that art of perfect meditation by which his mind has become ten times more powerful or his life force has become a lot more energetic. And there are ways and means to do it, even while within the circle of ignorance. And yet the ego has not been surrendered to the Lord. So what is the result of such, such a, a process that you end up having a titanic ego, a aggrandized ego? So, one has to feel for oneself what one really wants. If one wants to have aggrandizement, fine, I mean, the other ways. And uh, uh, what will happen later on, what happened to Ravana and Vali? That's as simple as that. It is a natural consequence, you know. At some point, one meets the thunderbolt of God. You know, the God has his own ways. Yeah, but this is not the road that man must follow. Shubhinda has said very clearly, you know, and of course all wisdom has spoken that this is not the path man should follow, but one has the choice. Or there are movements which shows the way to escape. So we have to discover what we want. Do we want to escape from this world of name and form because it's too much of a burden for us to bear? Then we should find one of the roads of easy exit. Nothing wrong with that. There are movements which offer that, a kind of nirvana, mukti, it's all right. There, or if one says, no, no, I am not interested in all this divine and the leela and all this, I am interested in how I can make my life better, then there are ways and means to do that. Now, okay, from the higher standpoint, it definitely it's like, instead of individual ignorance, you enter into cosmic ignorance. Now, cosmic ignorance is more powerful and vaster. Or if one has the aspiration that, or one has that kind of idealism, that why is this earth the way it is? What is the issue? Can it change? Can it become a beautiful place? Then I suppose there is nothing else but Shurabindu's Yoga. So one should enter with very great clarity upon it. Uh, each movement offers its own thing. But what is wrong is when people begin to say, no, everything is same. No, 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 yeah, sub looks same. You know, everybody is saying the same thing. Everybody, that's, that's really a, a totally ignorant statement. Everybody is neither saying the same thing and everybody cannot say or do the same thing. Nobody is really transformational yoga, you know, the word is being used nowadays, but in a very loose sense. And Shubhita has made it very, very clear that, in fact, even before he has anticipated all this. So he says that I have used the word in a special sense. 
it is not some change of consciousness. You know, people even go to a psychiatrist and say, oh, I got transformed. There is no transformation. It is momentary uplifting. You are relieved of a burden. Or a little bit of emotional exaltation when you are sitting in a bhajan and you know, you feel, oh, what a transforming experience it was. Nothing. Your basis is just the same. Momentary exaltation by which you can live for some time, vital joy. That is not transformation. Transformation is a radical change of consciousness. Its whole basis has changed. So, like uh, the word is being used loosely, like the word integral yoga. But I suppose as of now, for transformation of nature, there is no other way except Shurabindu's yoga. So if that's what one wants, then this is the path. So one should be very clear what one wants really inside. And then follow. Yes, uh, then judging, yes, if one wants transformation, then that is the way. Then the other things uh, have no meaning at all. And in any case, it's a very safe rule of spiritual life to have one master. It causes a lot of confusion in the consciousness. It's not about narrowness. It's about uh, a fundamental truth of spiritual life that when you mix influences, uh, and especially strong influences which can pull you in contrary directions, so it can be very dangerous to the developing inner life. It's only when you have become a mighty oak tree that you don't mind, you know, you can like meet anybody and everybody. But it's very, very safe never to mix influences. Even if you, you may think that, no, no, I am not going to be influenced. But there are strong personalities and they have their own powers and capacity to cast their die and stamp upon the soul. So one must be very clear, if one wants this, then that's the end of the story. There are beautiful examples uh, in Madhra and Shobindu's life, even there is a famous story of Dayakarvai, you know, when mother told her to go and uh, learn something from some so-and-so. She said, what mother? Whatever I have to learn, I learn from you. And mother was very happy. She used to sometimes, you know, play these games because the whole universe is her play field. So, it should be like the ideal attitude. I am seeing the ideal. It's not easy to keep. Ideal attitude is to say, I belong to you whether I have an experience or I don't have a single experience in my whole life. Whether I live or I die, yours is the house at which I live and die. Now, if one has that attitude, then strangely one progresses very fast. Though one should not have that attitude with the idea of progressing fast. You know, at some point. But the moment, you know, one goes here and there and tries, you know, few years, let me try here and see what happens. Then after some say, oh, you know, nothing really is happening. Let me try that. So one goes there. After a while one sees, uh, oh, this was very fine initially, but now let me try somewhere else. You know, actually one ends up nowhere. So that's why Shubhindu says, first be sure of the call and of the path. Yes. So one, be, one should be very sure of the call and of the path. If you, till then it's alright to read everything and if one is not sure of the call then it's okay. You know, you meet a lot of people, you read a lot of books, you, you go around, you know, there are Babaji's and this, that and all kinds of things are there. But the day you are sure of this call, then give 100% to it. Then you know to get into all kinds of intellectual diversions and... Uh, uh, all kinds of influences, 
or you know me chalo ev guru let me let's try you know how good he is how deep he is it's actually uh, can not only be a diversion sometimes it can be very dangerous and uh, there are so many stories to this effect one story is of baba farid all mystic literature speaks about it baba farid was uh, you know his master uh, once sent him to before he became a, a guru himself his master once sent him to a neighboring master with some kind of message so the neighboring when he went and delivered the message to this master that master said oh your guru has praised you so much come i will give you one embrace and the doors of heaven will open for you so immediately farid stepped back he said no i have come to deliver my master's message and not for the doors of heaven to be opened by your embrace he again said no but i'll give it to you as a gift he said whatever i have to receive my master will give me and he is capable of giving it to me so he comes back and then his master says this was your last test and then of course he himself became a great master in his own right so this is uh, true of you know modern mind sometimes doesn't understand because you know it talks about it thinks of secular and wideness and it's all right to but it's it's uh, it's one thing to be wide and it's another thing to be faithful to one's calling now wideness means that i agree that everybody has his own way wideness is not to tell others this is the only way you know oh you know my master is the greatest master or the only master that is narrowness that is really sectarianism but to say this is my calling to me the divine has come in the form of shirdinda and the mother i should be faithful to him but to somebody else he may come in the form of x or y and z and he should be actually faithful to him if he really wants to follow that path in fact if somebody let's say would come to me and say i am very attracted to x y z and uh, this also you know what is it I, you know you should not want to convert him you should say yes then follow faithfully and sincerely whatever that master is telling you and you will reach wherever he can take you he may take you to point x or y and there is no comparison here but to one's own calling one must be fully faithful so this is what one must remember with regard to all these movements and in because the spiritual need and hunger has suddenly increased thanks to the supramental so many people have started opening their shops and for the human consciousness which does not know about uh, which cannot distinguish uh, the fake from the real it's very easy to end up buying one of the imitation jewelries now one safe rule there uh, with which we can you know close this question is that if somebody is selling me diamond at the price of glass i should be careful diamond has a price to it if somebody is telling us that i'll give you divine and all that you have to do is just five days course and in that five day intensive course i'll teach you a way of meditation the sixth day you will uh, have an experience then i am being fooled outrightly i mean i am sure if we go to a shop and somebody tells you that this is the original diamond Sir, how much it is? Just ten dollars. It's a throwaway price. Well, I can buy it if I want to, but I should know that well. It's not worth the time, you know. Like we saw that <laughs> glasses, you know, which cut off all rays. Diamond is diamond, and there is a price for it. The price for the divine is the ego. There is no less price, 
and it this price has been fixed right from the beginning and there is a purpose how can the two be together ego makes us so small divine is so vast so you know it's a basic logic so um, uh, that is an indication if somebody is showing a very easy path path see that's the beauty of shubindu he never believed in that kind of attracting crowd why shubindu is not a crowd puller precisely because he is truthful and honest he says it's a difficult path he doesn't tell you that oh very easy he says also that it's very easy if you can surrender to the mother but he says still there is nothing like yoga made easy like french without tears <laughs> you have to go through that i mean even when it is easy and made easy all that it means is that long journey becomes delightful because you know surrender and self giving makes it easy and delightful it doesn't mean that one will not receive blows and knocks human nature is not so if somebody is telling that oh it's so easy then we should be very careful that we are probably being led into deception <laughs>